Good morning. Janet, will you come on up and join me? You see a picture up here uh, that some of you may recognize. You may have seen it on the news. You may have seen it on Facebook. But on Wednesday morning, very, very early in the morning, uh, there was a, a really tragic occurrence at an apartment complex just up Buffalo Gap Road a few blocks at South 27th. Uh, there was a bad fire. Numerous apartments were damaged completely. And uh, by early after the sun had come up, uh, there were people from this church who were on it. And Janet Arduino was one of them. Uh, Josh Hardcastle was another. And I want to invite Janet to share with you a great God story that happened on Wednesday morning. Come over here to the middle so you're kind of where everybody can see you a little bit more. I was blocking you, but I'm not anymore. So tell us a little bit about what happened as soon as y'all started to find out well, about this fire. The way it started was, first of all, I have to tell this story, is we drove up to Madison for our fist bump group on, group, crew on Wednesday. Tears just popped out of my eyes because there were 50 students lined up waiting for us, greeting all their fellow students with fist bumps. But during that time, I got word that there had been a fire. And so what I immediately did was contact all the school's teachers. And Josh was contacting people at Cooper saying, we've got this covered. Whatever your kids need, you let us know. I had no idea for sure what we were going to do, but, but we were rocking that way. And then Josh and I went over to GV Daniels where they were, putting, where they were sending people to go with a red cross, and it was a wonderful opportunity to mingle right there with the people and see them. I was touched by the first person we ran into. It was a young couple, and they were, had their dog outside, and he's nice looking, and he said, I said, is there anything we can do to help? And he said, no, but he said, I don't, I like to work, help myself in that way, and he pulled out a card, and he said, if anyone needs me to help work for them, I would like to pay my way. So that's how it started, but we went inside and we saw the needs, and I took off to Christian Service Center, and I'm so thankful to Patsy Watson. She kind of snuck me in the back door, and we got coats and shoes and toys and games. I knew that the last thing they needed in a, a shelter was boredom, and so we took those all over there, and then we found out needs got to talk with a lot of people. Uh, I had called uh, LaShara, a friend of mine. I said, LaShara, we need underwear and socks. And so she and Andy ran. You'll notice I'm just calling people because we, we don't have a system set. But anyway, Josh said, let's go over to G.V. Daniels at 2. And we did, and we saw a lot of needs and things. And then Josh arranged with his high school parents, several of them, and their kids to come Wednesday night. Here's my favorite story. I was so thrilled our kids got to mingle with these people. And, and the people in these apartments are not well off anyway, despite a fire. And we had 30 pizzas, and they were handing them out. And we had asked for some coats. And by the end of the evening, we had 45 coats. And But I looked over, my favorite part was I looked over, and there had been a little boy all day from middle school just sitting on his coat. He had his flip-flops with some socks on and uh, on his cot. And I looked over that night before I started to leave, and there was uh, Dawson and Landon Mullins 
playing checkers with him sitting on the floor. You can see the picture of that up here on the screen. I mean, I tell you, I just it just took my breath away to see these kids. And the next day when I went back, they said this little boy, all he did was talk about how they talked to me and they played with me. Because he had been having struggles. The counselors had been working with him. Uh, one lady came in, they said, to get some underwear. And she just broke down bawling. Because she said, I'm so thankful for this. I, I, I didn't have any underwear. Because they were woken up at 4 in the morning. So it just went on and went on. And uh, the Red Cross uh, loves this body of people. Their actual comment to me, we took gift cards, by the way. And I, uh, I had called ladies' class on Wednesday night to get the message out that we may have some needs. Thursday morning they met. It was the smallest group. It was freezing cold and raining, smallest group. They raised $600. And, and then Josh and Stephen made a video, and it went out on website. We Before I got back to the church to pick up cards, people were coming and bringing money. But Red Cross said, we have never had a church respond like Southern Hills has. And many of you have asked, you've got dishes and furniture, just hang tight. If we'd have had, I had thought of having a, quote, garage sale and them come up there. They don't have a place to put it. So even 211 has called me and uh, Red Cross. So we will be having some needs we will put out before you. A lot of people are asking. Money is about the best thing they can use right now. But thank you. I was, I was never so proud to be part of this family. And, and Janet, I want to thank you. You can take this back to your seat with you. But I, I want to thank Janet. But Janet mentioned several individuals, but there were so many more of you that helped. And uh, a little thing Janet's not going to want me to tell you, but I'm going to tell you anyway. She said the Red Cross was blown away by this body. Janet was actually approached by some Red Cross people on site the other day who tried to get her on their board because they saw how quickly she responded. And she's too humble to want me to share that story, um, but, but I'm sharing it be, not because it's Janet's hard work, but because it's Janet's willingness to allow God to work through her, just like this church family as a whole. Donnie Carroll's not here, but I had to tell this. Donnie and the elders have been praying for our outreach to our neighbors. I called him last night, and I said, Donnie, did you set the fire? You know, we just really are not sure. But God worked through a very bad thing. And, and, and we're so glorified. thankful for that. Let's pray real quick and thank God for the ways he's allowed us to work through this and for the ways we will continue to be able to do that. God, thank you so much for Janet, for Josh, uh, for so many others who helped. Uh, the Neelands, the Watsons, the Hermans, the Mullins, uh, the Beards, on and on the list goes, God. And we know that more than the particular individuals, it's the fact that you have worked in the hearts of, of different members of this body uh, to bring about a deep love and care for our neighbors. And we thank you for the opportunity, even the, in the midst of something hard, uh, to be able to show your love to them. We pray that you would continue to allow us to find new ways to show your love. We thank you for all the people uh, who have risen up in response to this opportunity. And we pray uh, that through this, uh, the people we, we interact with, the people we meet, will know more than anything else that you love them because of how we love them. Uh, we thank you, God, for being at work in and through, among and around us. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.
Thanks for sharing, Janet. Uh, we're going to pick back up in the story of Jacob this morning. Uh, if you've been around the last few weeks, you've been tracking along with this story three weeks ago. Uh, we, we started out with a birth story that was different than many birth stories we come across. Two twins are in the womb, and when it's time for them to, to come into the world, uh, one has the heel of the other. He's clutching at what is not his, and his parents decide to give him a name that fits the way he comes into the world. And so we end up with the firstborn Esau and the secondborn Jacob, whose name means thief or cheat or liar. And then two weeks ago, we watched as Jacob unfortunately lived into his name. He found a way along with his mother to cheat his father, Isaac, his brother Esau, and take for himself what didn't belong to him, the blessing that in ancient Israel always went to the firstborn child. We watched as Jacob ran away. Maybe it was to try to hightail it out of there before somebody could, could find a way to get him back. Maybe it was just because he was uh, so excited he wanted to go off and celebrate. We don't know exactly what all's going through his head, but we know he gets out of town and he gets out of town fast. And then last week, last week we watched as Jacob found a spot in a field to lay down and rest for a while. He got a stone for a pillow. And then God showed up in the form of a dream, a dream in which God appeared to Jacob and God made promises to Jacob, promises that, well, Jacob didn't deserve them after his behaving like a scoundrel, but God made the promises anyway. I am with you. I will watch over you. I will bring you back home. God was with Jacob. And you might think that in response to these promises that Jacob receives from God in the midst of his dream, that Jacob would decide, you know what, if God is, is with me, if God's going to watch over me, if God's going to bring me back home, then probably what I should do now is I should go back home. I should find a way to, to try to make things right, find a way to, to reconcile, find a way to, to get back on a, a good page again. But what does Jacob do in response to God's promises? Well, he keeps running. He heads further east, away from home. And eventually, in our story today, he encounters some shepherds out in the field tending some sheep. And when he runs into them and he begins to talk with them, he finds out that they work for a guy named Laban. And Jacob goes, you know, I think that name rings a bell. And as it turns out, Laban is related to Jacob's mother, Rebekah. And in that moment, Jacob, who has continued to run away, I think has this moment where he goes, yeah, maybe God really meant it when he said he was going to be with me. Because here I am in the middle of nowhere, and, and he's brought me into contact with a relative. What an incredible blessing of provision. And so Jacob, Jacob talks to the shepherds, and, and, and one of them comes up with the idea, well, we, we need to get these relatives back together. And so the shepherds, they, they take Jacob back home with them to the, to the home place, and, and they introduce Jacob to Laban. And when Laban meets Jacob, 
he welcomes him as his own flesh and blood. God has provided for Jacob. And Jacob receives this provision with great thanks, and he decides he's just going to hang around a while. So he, he hangs out for a month, and in that month, the story tells us, he, he gets to know Laban's two daughters. The older one is Leah, the younger one is Rebekah. While he's, he's getting to know them, he's also trying to see how he can help out around the family farm. And eventually, about a month in, Laban comes to Jacob, and he's got this sense that, you know, it's really nice to have an extra hand around the place. And so he wants to offer Jacob a deal. So he says to Jacob, hey, look, you've done great work around here. And I'm kind of thinking, maybe it's time that, that we make a deal. I'll pay you if you'll stick around and continue to do some work for me. Keep up the good work, and and I'll take good care of you. Well, throughout this month, not only has Jacob been hard at work and getting to know the sisters, he's gotten to know one of the sisters really well. And he's gotten to know one of the sisters to the point that, well, how do you say this? He's head over heels for Rachel. And so when Laban comes to Jacob with this idea, Jacob says, hey, Laban, let me give you a counteroffer. You want to pay me, I, I'm going I'm to give you an, another option. Today, I will commit to sign a seven-year contract to work for you if at the end of that seven years, you'll let me marry your daughter, Rachel. And Laban, he feels like, well, are, are you really saying seven years of labor and that's all that it's going to cost me? And so Laban, as quickly as he can, says, let's shake on it. You got a deal. Well, the author of Genesis doesn't tell us much of what happens over the next seven years. It's kind of like he presses fast forward. And all of a sudden, we get to where we're going to pick up in the story in Genesis 29, seven years after they've shaken hands and made this deal. And so we're going to pick up reading in verse 22 of Genesis 29. So Laban invited all the people of that place and prepared a banquet. However, in the evening, Laban took his daughter Leah and brought her to Jacob, and he slept with her. In the morning, there she was, Leah. Jacob said to Laban, what have you done to me? Didn't I work for you to have Rachel? Why did you betray me? And Laban, with a chuckle in his voice, no doubt, says, well, where we live... We don't give the younger woman before the oldest. So complete the celebratory week with this woman. Then I will give you this other woman too for your work. If you work for me seven more years. Laban's always making a deal. So that is what Jacob did. He's head over heels, remember? He completed the celebratory week with this woman. And then Laban gave him his daughter, Rachel, as his wife. Jacob slept with Rachel and he loved Rachel more than Leah He worked for Laban seven more years. This story is deeply unsettling. There are so many things about it that just aren't right. Typically when we read the stories in this section of Genesis, we're always talking about Jacob. He is the one who's going to receive all kinds of attention. He's the one who's going to, to go on to join a 
a significant line of, of patriarchal figures in the story of Israel. And so when we think about this story from the perspective of Jacob, we find a sequel to an earlier story, the story of Jacob cheating his father and his brother. Except here, the tables are turned. Jacob is on the other end of an act of deliberate deceit as Laban goes back on his word and, and tricks Jacob, fooling him and actually getting twice the work out of him that he had initially agreed on. It's unsettling, the deceitfulness. But even more unsettling than what happens to Jacob, far more unsettling, in fact, is what happens to these sisters, Leah and Rachel. Because in this story, these two young women are treated like mere objects. Whatever else may have been true about their relationship with their father, and no doubt their story of their relationship with their father is complex and full of good and bad, but, but at this point in the story, he's treating them like bargaining chips, like there's no humanity in them at all. And, and, and for what? A little bit better profit margin on the family farm? I mean, this is disturbing stuff. What kind of father treats his children this way? And, and there are so many other levels on which this is unsettling. There's the fact that, you know, at this point in Israel's history... Polygamy basically seems to be fairly well accepted. Or, or the fact that the story tells us like it's no big deal that Jacob has a favorite wife and wife he's not so fond of. All of which is unsettling to us. And, and the reality is, you know, if I'm being honest, it's, it's so unsettling that there's a part of me that would rather just, just kind of skip right over this story. How do you wade into all of this and make any sense of it? And yet, it's, it's here. It's been passed down to us by generation after generation of, of God's people. And, and we're people of the book. And so, so what sense are we to make of this deeply unsettling story? You know, a lot of times when we come across stories like this, the way we deal with them is, is we try to squeeze a moral out of them, some principle about life, some rule for, for living right. And if that's the approach we take with this story, it's, it's pretty easy to find one, right? The moral of the story is you reap what you sow. I mean, it's not hard to get there. Jacob does his father and his brother wrong, and now he finds himself on the receiving end. You reap what you sow. And, and at some level, if we're thinking about it only from Jacob's perspective, it's like poetic justice, right? The con man gets conned. The liar gets lied to. The one who pulled the wool over his own father's and brother's eyes, now he has the wool pulled over, pull, wool pulled over his own eyes. What goes around comes around, we think. And it's simple, right, to make sense of this story in that way. But the question is, is that, is that really what this story is all about? Is that really what this story is trying to say, just that, that what goes around comes around? If so, then there's no doubt something coming for Laban down the road after he tricked Jacob, and there's something coming for the person that tricks Laban, and on and on the cycle goes, one liar after another, 
one act of deception after another forever and ever. Amen. But that, that can't be all that this story is trying to say, can it? I mean, it's true that sometimes we do have to reap what we sow, that sometimes what goes around comes around. You and I, we've, we've all experienced this in our lives at one point or another. We have to reap what we sow sometimes. But if that's the ultimate truth of this story, if that's the point of this story being passed down to us, there's not much good news in it. There's not much that would give us hope. Because there's no hope in a world where we all hurt and get hurt. There's no hope in a world where we sell another person out so that we can get exactly what we want. And then they turn around and sell us out. And on and on the cycle goes. There's no good news in that story. But I think that there is good news even in the midst of this deeply unsettling story this morning. And I think, at some level, it boils down to something that, that the Apostle Paul says in his letter to the Romans. We know that God works all things together for good, for the ones who love God, for those who are called according to his purpose. I think that's what's happening in the story. I mean, let's face it. Jacob, he's in a bad place. He's made a mess of his life. He's betrayed and deceived his father and his brother. But, but Leah, who's often overlooked in this story, she's in an even rougher spot. I mean, she's the innocent victim of two men basically bargaining over her like she's an asset. And Rachel, too, for that matter. She just is, is kind of collateral in a business deal. They're all in a bad spot. Jacob, in terms of his, 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 his mistakes, and, and Leah and Rachel, in the way that they are victimized and treated like less than human. And, and it wouldn't be hard, if this is only about reaping what you sow and, and how bad the world is and how the cycle continues on, it wouldn't be hard to imagine that this story just spirals completely out of control. That one bad thing happens another happens after another, that there is no redemption to be found. And there are twists and turns in this story. It doesn't get any neater in the chapters that follow. But even in the midst of all the twists and turns, the story tells us that, that there are some good things that come about in the midst of all this darkness, in the midst of all that is unsettling. Leah is given by God the gift of new life, of becoming a mother. Rachel, too, is given the gift of bringing new life into the world. Jacob is given the chance to be a father and carry on his lineage. And in all of this, God brings about beauty, beauty in the form of new life, beauty out of the midst of an ugly, ugly situation. And brothers and sisters, I believe, like the Apostle Paul, that God didn't just do that back then, and God didn't just do that during Paul's time. I believe that God continues to do that even to this day. You see, it, it, just as God did for Jacob, God refuses to let our lives be defined solely by our mistakes. And just as God did for Leah, 
and for Rachel. God refuses to let our lives be defined by the wounds we suffer at the hands of others. Instead, here's what God does. God breaks the punishing cycle of reaping and sowing with unexpected grace. And God gives us moments of goodness that bring beauty out of the ashes of suffering. God is at work in all of it. And and here's the thing. Every time God shows up in an act of grace like this, God is inviting us to receive his blessing of grace as an open door. An open door into a life of participating with God in, in a future that we might have thought once was not possible whether because of our mistakes or because of the wounds others have caused us to suffer, but because of God's grace, that future is possible. God is inviting us to receive those blessings of grace as an open door to partnership with him. Because all along, from the very beginning of time, that's been God's plan. That's been God's desire. God has wanted to invite us, all of us as humanity, into partnership with him. A partnership in which we get to join with God in God's incredible project of blessing every single person on the face of this earth. From the beginning of time until the very end. This is our calling. This is our destiny as God's people. And, and you and I, we're going to mess things up along the way. Just like Jacob. And you and I, we're going to suffer wounds at the hands of others. Just like Leah and Rachel. But neither our failures nor our wounds will ever change the way the story we're all living in is going to end. Because... God has always been, and God will always be, a God who sees our brokenness, a God who sees our shame, a God who sees our pain. God doesn't run from it. God doesn't hide from it. God doesn't leave us all alone to try to figure out how to deal with it on our own. God finds a way to redeem it and to bring something beautiful from it. Whatever mistakes you've made, God sees them. And even right now, God is working to find a way to redeem those mistakes and bring something beautiful from them. And whatever wounds you've suffered at the hands of others, through no fault of your own at all, God sees the pain, God sees the shame, and God is working even right now to find a way to redeem it, to bring something beautiful out of it. That's who God is. That's what God does. It's who God's always been and what God's always been up to. And brothers and sisters, that is some good news from a deeply unsettling story. Thanks be to God. We're going to sing together in just a moment. And as we do, we'll be standing and our shepherds and their wives will be out in the foyer. They want to receive you and pray with you. And part of why they do this every week is because they want to be representatives of God. They don't have the power God does. They don't have the ability God does. But they want to be able to speak into your life words of hope, words of grace to remind you of these truths about God. That No matter your mistakes and no matter your wounds, God is at work right now and God will always be at work finding ways to redeem them, 
finding ways to bring something beautiful from them. And so this morning, if you're suffering from the weight of mistakes that are weighing you down, if you're hurting because of the wounds others have caused you, go out into our foyer, find one of these couples, and let them pray with you and speak words of God's grace to you. Let's stand and sing together.